Good morning. You've uh, set a high bar for energy this morning. I'm going to hold you to it. Don't, don't give up on me now. I made a startling realization a year ago. Startling realization. I was making breakfast for my kids, and I thought it would be fun to play some of the theme songs from cartoons that I watched as a kid. The startling discovery that I made, I remembered so many of the words, like an alarming amount of the words of stuff I haven't seen in like 20 years, like an uncomfortable amount. I don't remember my license plate, but I remember the words to some of these things. And it's like, that can't be a good thing. But there's no way I'm the only one. There's no way that this is just me. So let's see if this jogs your memory a little bit. See if you can tell what this is. It's like a herd wash over you in duck bird race cars lasers aeroplanes it's a duck blur All right what is it Ducktails It's Ducktails Ducktails where apparently you can swim in gold because the laws of physics don't apply and ducks don't have to wear pants all right, let's do, let's do another one. Let's try this one. Think about this one a little bit. Sometimes nice heavy synth there. Go slipping through the cracks, but these two gum shoes are Really serious the theme songs, right? There's no case too big, no case too small. When you need help, just call. Ah, there's some people who know it but aren't confident, but you're right. Let's hear it. If you said Chippendales, it's not. It's ch 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 chippendales Because what you need when you're in trouble are two chipmunks and their toothpaste tub uh, dirigible, right? That's going to help. That's going to help. All right, one last one. It's a little bit harder. A little bit more of a deep cut. Very melodramatic. What is it? Oh, no, but you're close. All right, let's see what it is. Gummy bears. Gummy bears. A Saturday morning cartoon built around candy. Because apparently in the 90s, you can make cartoons about anything. It's alarming how many of those words I knew. Like, I just feel like I have to confess that. Like, that's not, there's no pride in that. Why would I know about the secret of gummy berry juice? Yikes. But those things are memorable. They're really memorable. Eerily memorable. I remember what they were about, right? Those songs remind me of a show, which remind me of a time, which remind me of a place. And pretty soon there's nostalgia all over everything. Music can do that to us. And that's why we're doing a series in December about carols. Songs that we're familiar with, that make us feel warm and fuzzy, that we associate with Christmas. These songs that we know that actually have great, rich truth. We're going to unpack some of those. And this morning, like Jerry mentioned, we're going to do Angels We Have Heard on High. Now, this song has a fascinating history. The words that we sing come from a songbook published in 1916, but that's not where the song started. That version comes from the first English 
version written in 1862 by James Chadwick, a bishop in England, but that too is not where the song started. James Chadwick based his song, it's like, this is like 19th century sampling, he based his song on a French song first published in 1855 called Les Anges d'Anou Compagnie. And if you don't think I spent 20 minutes on Google Translate to say that right, you're crazy. Because I didn't know any of those words. The song seems to be, have been used in churches more than 50 years even before that publication. And there's all sorts of traditions and stories around it. In fact, one writer suggests that maybe this even goes back to, to the, the time of the apostles because of some of the words they use, or even monks in the medieval period because of the, some of the structure of the song. But one of the stories is rooted in this French tradition. In the 18th century, French shepherds would go out on Christmas Eve and they would stand in their fields and their pastures with their flocks and sing out the chorus of this song, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. This is not the first time that in Excelsis Deo or glory to God in the highest would be heard in the fields because this song is written out of Luke chapter 2. It's written out of a story about the angels and shepherds. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke 2. We're going to start in verse 8. The story starts with their, just some shepherds hanging out in the fields with their sheep, kind of doing their thing. And a common word that we're going to see a bunch in this chapter is suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And so they're just overwhelmed and overcome by this angel. And the angel has to say to them, don't be afraid. He says, I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people. He says the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. And there's real purpose about those words because it means the rescuer, that God himself is showing up in the form of a son to be the rescuer, that he's come, that he's born today in Bethlehem. And you'll recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And then suddenly, again, a multitude of angels shows up. A host shows up. They fill the heavens. Imagine this, right? If they're scared before, what about now? It, It went from like pitch black to the surface of the sun in like half a second. I mean, they're just out there doing their thing. Maybe they're passing around jerky. I don't know what they're doing, but they're out there hanging out. And then all of a sudden, I mean, let, let's put this in our context. Put yourself into this story. Imagine what it must have been like for the shepherds. They're out at night. It's dark. They're watching the stars. It's quiet. They're protecting their sheep. Maybe they're talking amongst each other. Maybe they're, they're resting. And an angel shows up and tells them some crazy news. And as they're digesting this, suddenly the sky is filled with angels. There's too many to count, and they're singing. How crazy would that have been? I would have to scoop myself up off the ground. I, I would imagine my brain at that point just would have short-circuited. Like, I don't even know how to wrap my arms around that. This angelic host shows up, and they are worshiping God. They're singing praises to God, glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth 
to those with whom God is pleased. There's two things that we're going to look at in this story, two things for us to do, two steps we can take. And the first one is worship like an angel. Challenges for us to worship like an angel. Now, in order to talk about that, let's unpack a little bit. What are angels, right? What are angels? Our cultural understanding of angels, it's either like the fat little baby in the inappropriate uh, underwear, because he's hanging out on the back. Like, that's not, there's no support there. And he's got a bow, and he shoots people, and, and that's like, or, or angels are these like huge wings, and they, and they guard us, and they do things for us. We have a very kind of warped, convenient perspective on what angels are, but the Bible talks about angels a lot. It says that they're heavenly beings. They're servants of God. They're created by God, right? That God is the only immortal, eternal being that God created angels. They're used by God frequently in the Bible to be spokesmen for him, to, be, to communicate his truth, to share God's message with people, and often to care for and minister to people. An angel's whole existence revolved around God. The angel who appeared to the shepherds here spoke truth, truth that pointed to love, to hope, to peace, to faithfulness, that God was doing what he had promised he would do. In fact, the angel literally pointed to Jesus. He tells the shepherds, literally, go here. This is what you are looking for. Literally, go see Jesus. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I don't know about angels. Like, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure if they're real. I can't see them. If I could see them, they'd be real. And I'd say this. We believe in lots of stuff we can't see. I have yet to see a germ, and yet every time I get a cold, I know that something's happened. And you might be saying, but Josh, some people can see germs, and so that's how we know they're true. And I would say, you make a fair point, to which I would say, some people have seen angels. We're reading a story about it right now. These angels, their experience, their existence revolved around God and who he is. And that leads us to the next question that we need to talk about is, what's worship? If we're going to worship like an angel, what's worship? True worship is seeing God as more valuable than anything else. True worship is seeing God as more valuable than anything else because what we worship is what we care about and what we find our worth in and what we build our life around. True worship is seeing God as more valuable than anything else because worship results in change. Worship changes us. It results in a changed heart, and that results in changed actions. The irony is we're not called to sort of live like the angels, but we can live in some of the same ways when we worship God because where our hearts are changed and we'll look to care for others and meet others' needs and minister to others and speak truth. I mean, we'll do those things when we worship God because it changes us. Because what it's doing is, is moving the focus off of myself, off of my own heart, off of my own life to God, where it belongs, to the God who created me and knows me who knows what I long for in ways I, I could never understand. Angels are seriously impressive beings. One of the ways we know that is the first thing an angel says multiple times in the Bible, the first words they say is, don't be afraid. That's how you know they're intimidating because they constantly have to tell people, no, no, it's fine, it's cool, it's fine, don't worry about it. I, I would seriously have an inferiority complex if every time I met someone I had to be like, no, don't be scared, sorry. Although I do often feel like that with small children. It's, I'm tall and it's the beard. And I, I don't think it's because the angel like forgot to put away his flaming sword. It, they're just, they're imposing. They're impressive. 
But God is even more impressive still. That we see angels doing incredible things in the Bible, and yet God is even more impressive still because the angels worshiped something greater than themselves. They worship something greater than themselves. Do you? Do you worship something greater than yourself? We often worship ourselves. We often think about our needs first, our life first, our wants first. We are the center of the universe and, and our story is built around us. And if we, we would never say those words out loud, but the way we live means we're functionally acting as if we worship ourselves. Do we worship something greater than us? The angels did. And you know what else? Creation does too. The line in Angels We Have Heard on High, it starts with, angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains. And o'er, that's playing fast and loose with the English language, but you know, we'll let it pass. And the mountains in reply, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. So you're like, all right, that sounds like Poetry, like that's a nice line. There's nice symbolism. The mountains are singing. That's great. I get it. It's nice. But here's the thing. The, the singing mountain idea is not as crazy as it might sound like the way I just said it, singing mountain. Creation worships God. We see that all throughout the Bible. In Isaiah 49, 13, it says, Sing for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on them in their suffering. Isaiah 55, 12 says it like this, you will live in joy and peace. And that's what the angels were talking about, right? That peace is coming. It says you'll live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song and the trees of the field will clap their hands. That God is so awesome and so completely powerful and so, so amazing that creation itself cannot help but sing out. And so the challenge for us is this, if heavenly beings are worshiping God and creation is worshiping God, then we may be the only thing that is not. There's something powerful and profound about what the angel's saying. About glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. There's something powerful about how God's glory and the experience of it brings peace. Brings peace. I want peace. If we made a list of the things we really care about, I don't know if peace would be on there. I think we like peace. Like I'd like, you know, I'd like world peace. I'd like people to be okay with each other. But I don't know that that, maybe I'd want success or, or I'd want to be loved or I'd want to be valued or I don't know what I'd want. But I don't know that peace would be first. But if I'm honest and I pause and I really think about it, that peace is what I really crave. Not just peace with others, not just peace in relationships, but peace in my soul. Because when we sin, when we fall short of God's standard, we, we tear our soul in a way. We, there is pain in us that we can't heal, that we can't make go away, and we carry that with us. And the peace that God offers is freedom from that. Freedom from those things we hate about ourselves that, that eat at us, that poison us from the inside out. Jesus brings peace. Peace was now on earth in a newer and realer and more tangible way than ever before because Jesus was now on earth. Because what the angels are pointing to here is that peace is not a thing to be experienced, but a person to know. Peace is not a thing to be experienced, but it's a person to know that Jesus is that peace. 
The story continues on. That after the, the shepherds see this, says, they say to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and let's see what happened. And they left immediately, right away, which I just find crazy, right? If I watch a particularly compelling episode of television, I need a good 20 minutes to decompress. I can't imagine watching the sky suddenly filled with angels and then going, hey, I'm ready to go do anything immediately. But they go right away. They're so compelled and overwhelmed by what happened. They're like, we got to do something. And so they go. They hurry to the village. They find Mary and Joseph. And there they find the baby. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened. They told everyone. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. It says that then they went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, because it was just as the angel had said. Man, there's, there's some real richness to this. God's son comes to earth, and who does he tell first? Shepherds. Luke spends 12 verses talking about shepherds here. They're referenced 23 times in these verses. There's clear emphasis on shepherds. We are supposed to understand shepherds. There's one word you get from this part. It's shepherds. It's like 42 font, shepherds. That wasn't big enough. I should have gone bigger. So why are shepherds significant? Well, shepherds were lowly. They were low on the social totem pole. If you remember when Adam talked about lepers, Last week, right? Let's pretend it was last week. Don't tell him I forgot. He talked about this skin-eating disease, that they were the lowest of the low. Right? They were the lowest of the low in society because they have a flesh-eating disease that's, that's contagious. They were, they were shunned. Shepherds are one step above lepers. They're one step above the people whose skin is falling off from a flesh-eating disease. That's low. They were considered to be unclean. Because they hung out with animals. They were untrustworthy. We know from, from texts from the time that they couldn't testify in court. They were seen as unreliable. The shepherds were an unlikely group. God chose to share the news of his son with shepherds. My wife gave birth to our son two weeks ago. And I, first phone call I want to make is to my dad and my mom. Like, I want to talk to my parents my dad was in, in, in Chicago recovering from surgery, and my mom was in some part of Europe. I don't even know where she was at that point. Spain, I think, because she's traveling. And, and so I'm, like, trying to get a hold of him because I want to tell my parents. You know, I'm not telling. Like, I don't, I don't care about random person I've never met. Like, I want to tell, tell the people that I'm closest with. There's specific people that I love. But what God tells here, God tells the least likely people. He chose to share with the marginalized, the socially unacceptable people on the fringes of society who couldn't be trusted. That's who he shared with. What I love here is that the shepherds transcended their social status on this night. That God lifted them up and toward himself and used them in a powerful way. So the second thing that we want to take away is live like a shepherd. Live like a shepherd. The shepherds did two things that are incredible, that, that we can take with us, two things that we can do. The first is recognize. They recognized that something was happening. They recognized something was significant. They recognized that God was at work. To help them believe God gave them a sign, right? They, they knew something amazing was happened, but they, something amazing had happened, but they didn't stop there. They saw it, but, but they didn't let it leave there. 
They, they engaged in it. They, they didn't try and explain it away. It must have been a comet. It must have been some natural event. Maybe it was some bad hummus they had earlier. As you never know with hummus. They engaged in the moment and they didn't look for reasons to disbelieve. Recognizing starts with a willingness to be moved from where we are to where God wants us to be. A willingness to be moved, a willingness to acknowledge we don't have it all figured out, we don't know what's best. Recognizing starts with that. How do we recognize? Are we chalking everything up to coincidence? Do we really believe we can control everything? How can we look to see the unseen hand of God? How do we look to say, God, show me? Help me understand who you are. Help me understand what you're doing. Rather than run from it, how do we engage in it? How do, instead of running away, how do we move towards? We have all experienced Jesus in some way. We've all experienced Jesus in some way. For starters, you're here. And so in some way, you've been prompted to, to be here this morning, unless you've been kidnapped, in which case, blink twice and I'll send help. Just like touch your nose and we'll direct, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of you. We've all experienced God in some way. We know that God loves people deeply, loves people more than we can imagine. We know that God has shown himself to us through creation, that he's revealed himself through the world that he's made. He's revealed himself through the truth in the Bible. He's revealed himself to us through others. And he's revealed himself ultimately through Jesus. God wants us to know him. We have all in some way experienced Jesus. Some of us have that experience and embrace in it and engage in it. Some of us have that experience and don't understand it and don't know where to go next. And some of us reject that experience altogether. What's holding you back from knowing Jesus? What's holding you back from knowing Jesus? What's holding you back? And this isn't just a message for people here who have not yet heard about Jesus, but if you're here, we're glad you're here. This is for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus too because there is always more to know and always more to experience and always because we know more surrender to him. There is always a greater degree to which I can say, God, more of you and less of me. What's holding you back from knowing Jesus? Second thing they did after they recognized that something was going on is they responded. They responded. They went immediately. They just went. They left. I think that's incredible. They didn't have to know everything or understand everything. They knew enough. They wanted to know more. They wanted to see more. They didn't say, that's enough for one night. I'm good. They did it immediately. In the dark, without getting cleaned up, with no delay, they went. These are guys who were at work, out in the fields, hanging out with, with animals. They didn't stop to grab a bite to eat. They didn't shower. They didn't change their clothes. They just went. And because they just went, there was no time for them to chicken out or to rationalize away what they experienced. Because when we slow down, often what we're looking for is reasons to not have to believe something for what it is. They just went. It didn't matter how they showed up, just that they showed up. And the powerful truth about that is that's exactly how God wants us to come to him right away, right away. 
right in this moment without having to worry about how you look or whether or not you have it all figured out. That's how God invites us to him. And the shepherds knew at some level that this wasn't just for them, that this was meant for other people. These guys are the first evangelists in the New Testament because they they realized something's different and they gotta tell people about it. They weren't experts. They weren't shepherding part-time to put themselves through rabbinical school. They shared what they knew and people responded. I love this picture of the inadequacy of the shepherds. Really, we can take that two ways. One way is that the angels appearing to them shows that they're not inadequate, that God loves them and has moved towards them. And if you feel inadequate, if you wrestle with that, then you can find great hope in this message because God moves towards those on the fringe because God doesn't care about status. God doesn't care. God's not impressed that God loves us and those things that we label ourselves with and pile on ourselves and and allow us to, to be covered with the weight of inadequacy, God brushes that off and says, it does not matter to me because I love you. But on the other hand, I think there's value in this that we can take from this inadequacy because oftentimes a healthy sense of inadequacy, a healthy sense of inadequacy is what it takes for us to stop depending on ourselves and instead have faith in the God who loves us. I need some sense of I can't do this on my own or I'm going to keep telling God I got it. How are you responding? Are you waiting for more signs, more experiences before you respond to what God has already done for you? Are you waiting for God to reveal more or are you putting what you've experienced into action? Are you moving forward or are you stuck in neutral? This story has so much hope. I love that this this moment in time reaches back to the very beginning of everything and it looks forward to the perfect forever that's coming because God is putting into motion the plan that he has been pointing towards. That he is putting into motion his plan to rescue the world and redeem people to himself. In Luke 19, we see this talked about. There's a story with Jesus. It says, when he, when he reached the place where the road started down to the Mount of Olives, all his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. Echoing the worship of the angels. And some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Because the stones know that Jesus has won. The stones know that Jesus is the rescuer. The stones know that God's plan is happening. There's so much hope in this. We can look at these shepherds and realize, man, they're unlikely just like I am. I'm clean, unclean and untrustworthy. That I want to be a good husband and a good father and a good pastor. And I regularly fall short of that because I struggle with my own stuff just like you do. We all have our baggage. We all fall short. That the best that I want to be will always be a shadow of what God wants for me. And the hope is that I don't have to live in in, in shame that I can't get there. I can live in the freedom that Jesus says, I will make it possible. I will do it for you. I'm unlikely as well 
But Jesus came for the unlikely. Jesus is known as the great shepherd. And the great shepherd came to be a lamb so that we may be rescued. I love that picture. The message of the angels is that God wants you to know him so much that he has come all the way to you. He's come all the way to you. What's your next step? What's your next step? We're all on a journey. We all have a next step. What's your next step? Maybe it's purposefully spending time with God to allow him to to breathe life into your life, to allow him to infect you with his spirit, to allow him to change you from the inside. Maybe you've never purposefully spent time doing that before, and that's your next step is to say, God, I want more time with you. Maybe your next step is being part of a small group to go, I need people in my life that are gonna challenge me and encourage me, that are gonna hold me accountable, that are gonna speak truth to me, that are gonna live life with me. I'm gonna let people in at at a level I, I, I never have before. Maybe your next step is saying, I've got questions. I don't fully understand this stuff. And I wanna ask some questions. I want to know, can you help me? That's why we're here as a church. What's your next step? True worship is seeing God as more valuable than, than anything else. And so what are you worshiping? That's a hard question. And it's not always bad things. But what are you worshiping? What are you allowing to take the place of God? What are we allowing to move in front of him? Because I can tell you, anything that I put in front of God, right? When I think of any of those things, nothing makes me burst out into song and li- and the way the angels did. And I don't think that's because I don't like to sing, though I don't. I think it's because I'm picking the wrong thing. What are you worshiping? What would it look like for you this week to ask God that question, to ask him to help you understand those things in your heart that you put in front of him? What would it look like for you this week to ask God to move your focus back to him? I can't promise that that won't be hard, I can't promise that that won't be painful, but I can promise it will be infinitely, infinitely more fulfilling and satisfying than anything you could do on your own. I love how this song ends. Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee Christ the Lord, the newborn king. That's who we celebrate. 